welcome to the next episode of Splitting Cases with Pointy and the Moose. Our guest today is Tony White. Thanks very much, Pointy and Moose. It's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me. Just a local muso who's played around for, for donkeys in various shonky cover bands and some decent original bands that didn't do anything in the end. But yeah, I just thought rather than talking about myself, I'd rather talk about music that has made not only myself, but millions of people worldwide happy in their lives, richer and that it's the Beatles. You've chosen two huge Beatles fans to talk about that with, so (laughs) it's a good choice. Your subject is the Beatles. What is your first memory of hearing the Beatles? About three or four years old and hearing Yellow Submarine, actually. Just around the house, I think mum and dad had a couple of records. They weren't really big muso types or big um, music fans. They, They never had music going all the time, but I just remember hearing that song. It was that, Rivers of Babylon by Boney M. My first memory, now that you mention Yellow Submarine, it's probably not even a Beatles memory as such because I didn't really know that it was the Beatles. But there was like this um, very strange teacher that we had at school um, who played guitar. That's not why she was strange. Um, And she used to sing Yellow Submarine. So that's probably my first memory of Yellow Submarine. But as far as my first memory of the Beatles, and this is probably common for a lot of people my age, is watching the anthology um, series on TV. So I probably would have only been, I, I guess, nine or ten or thereabouts when that came out. So that was really my first exposure. Yeah, I think I, I have a vivid memory of watching the anthology when it was on TV because my brother was watching it quite religiously. Because well, How many parts was it? It was certainly a few. It was eight parts. and including a special and I do remember watching it and I certainly remember Yellow Submarine at school but my first kind of vivid memory of listening to the Beatles was getting the red and blue double albums so I must have been I must have been aware of them beforehand but getting them from the library and putting them on a stereo but the speakers were able to kind of split it was like the one with the console in the middle and two speakers on the side I'd put my head in between both speakers and go why does this record split everything in half? If I just listen to this one and I can hear vocals and guitar, if I listen to this one, I can hear bass and drums. Why the hell is that? And I kind of yeah. that formed this weird love of dissecting music and, and audio engineering. Yeah, it's funny those schools are thought about that sort of stuff these days with audio files and all that kind of stuff because when, when the collection came out, the box set a few years back when they had the, the stereo remasters mm. and, the, and the, the mono box set as well, Everyone just gave me shit for buying the stereo one. It's like you're not a true, not a true fan if you don't get the mono version. But it's like, yeah, but I'm listening to it in headphones. You know what I mean? And it's like we're just listening to it in a different version. way. <laughs> yeah, that that's right. That's right. I've got an old tape. But if I if you know, want the mono version, I just put both headphones on. You know, like it's just silly. You get this real um, wanky thing about all that stuff. But they were the first to really go for that sort of engineering. And Jeff Emmerich was a bit of a freak when it comes to that stuff. And there's always people that will be super wanky fans about everything. There's always someone who will take it to the nth degree and go, well, you don't listen to X or you don't have X. It's like, like what you like, do what you can, but don't give anyone else shit. Well, I sort of think it's got to get to a point where it's like, are you still enjoying it? Mm, if, you yeah. are, if you are enjoying it, then it's good enough. Yeah. <laughs> don't get too bogged down in, you oh, know. Yeah. What the, what the frequency is, exactly how it's been reproduced. That's going back to that first memory, it was the Yellow Submarine, and ironically, it was the first song I learned to play on guitar when you were saying it. Um, but, or at least it was a chorus, it was like two, two chords. Pre-anthology, there was a documentary that used to get run every couple of years, and I, I remember seeing this on telly all the time. It was The Complete Beatles. It was, that's what it was called, it was The Complete Beatles, and it was a, it was a VHS 
tape that I used to get from the video shop and it just had the you know the silhouettes of them jumping in yeah. the help era I think yeah. it is so you hide this multiple times yeah yeah yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly from from Mayfield down um, down near where the old Woolies was but yeah and that that was the one I think it went for two hours and when the anthology came out it was oh, so much better because it was actually put together by them so mm. so I guess we've talked about first memories as far as their recorded output in my mind it's sort of broken up into two phases you've got whilst the band was still touring and when they became sort of a studio only band which was from Sergeant Peppers onwards if I've got my facts right in my memory there, there seems to be this general consensus that there's the cool era of the Beatles i.e. probably post from Rubber Soul maybe onwards um, Rubber Soul onwards and pre-Rubber Soul as being the kind of daggy mop top you know, in suits kind of era. But when you break those songs down and you listen to them, they are actually really, really good, well-written songs and just as influential on me musically as any any of the pioneering, groundbreaking stuff that came later on. That early Beatles, that early Beatles stuff is awesome. Yeah. Some of my favourite Beatles tracks uh, is some of that early stuff. I mean, yeah. All My Love and It Won't Be Long, yeah. So You're Standing There. Like, there's heaps, oh, there's heaps of great yeah. stuff. Yeah, man, like I, I always go back to things like This Boy and I'll Follow the Sun mm, and that's, that's a- just that sort of stuff that they wrote that wasn't the She Loves You, Yeah, Yeah, Yes. Even um, the She Loves You, Yeah, Yeah, Yes. Yeah, that's absolutely. the catchiest shit. Absolutely it is. You want to think of it in a musical wankery kind of way that most people tend to do with the even with the Beatles. I don't even know. I don't know why, but they they put this whole wow. Well, we've got backwards guitar on this. It's a much cooler song than it than it was. You know, than we wrote ten years ago or whatever. But for me, like if you if you go back and watch the Ed Sullivan performance, I think is when they did, or it might have been on the Morecambe and Wise show where they did this boy and mm. Ringo's on the kit in the background just yeah. doing nothing. Swain, he said. Man, they did all that live and those harmonies and John's voice in that breakdown section and just screaming the hell out of it. That's unheard of. It was old old school chord progressions, old school melodies done, you know, in a really rock kind of way that sort of gets lost on a lot of people. Well, I mean, the thing is with that early period, they were in Hamburg playing like eight times a week full like three hour long sets or whatever like probably not more than that playing all fucking night Uh and there's that 10,000 hour rule thing that if you're going to become a genius at something you've got to spend at least 10,000 hours on it and they certainly put in their time so I mean if you want to go and say oh well there's a daggy era and there's not a daggy era I mean that's like a full-time job more than playing like between four to eight hours a night eight times a week, like, playing in Hamburg in clubs full of drunks, just honing your own act. Like, that's a lot of dedication to get where they went. I think it's a case of revisionism, you know, because if you spoke to anyone that was around at the time, not that I'm saying I was, but if you did experience those early albums and grew up with the Beatles, you wouldn't have that opinion. It's just people looking back and saying, oh, well, like, those last albums were groundbreaking, whereas it was just just pop rock before. So, yeah, that's not important when that's kind of missing the point altogether. But it was still groundbreaking, that early stuff when it first came out, nobody had done anything like that before. So everything they've kind of done was particularly groundbreaking. They just kind of find new ways to do it. 
I, I guess that's what I'm saying by yeah. revisionism is that if you weren't around at the time, you don't necessarily get that context because it yeah. sounds so familiar now. It's, yeah. It doesn't necessarily sound like that to, to people these days. You know this whole Stones versus Beatles thing that seems to have been around yeah. for yeah. probably 20, 30 years now? I do not think it existed back then. Hey, well, that, that was going to be my point. They're mates. <laughs> well, I'm glad to see you're on the same wavelength there. But no, it didn't exist back then. They're mates. They wrote songs for each other. And the only people that have made it into a competition are people down the track. And people who have seen the Rolling Stones, for better or for worse, still have a career down the track. And comparisons are moot point because you know they were a totally different well, they were bands trying to for achieve different things which yeah. was going to be my point is you can talk about beatles versus stones but they, they weren't in the same fight they were aiming for something different and the stones were predominantly a blues based band to yeah. start off with and the beatles weren't it was a completely different thing but if you want to if you want to even look at a physical example i want to be your man they both recorded the same song but i mean it's not a fight Stripping whatever anyone thinks about anything outside of this room away, favourite early Beatles stuff? For me, it would be basically the whole Hard Day's Night album itself, but it's kind of everything. Even when you go back to the first album and Please Please Me and One After 909 and all that sort of stuff that they did, and I would say if I had to pick a favourite of the early stuff, it probably would be This Boy and If I Fell. one of those people that says pretty much everything all, all of those early albums are absolute standouts and I mean I used to depending on how far we're considering earlier I used to love Rubber Soul and then as I got to a teenager I loved Revolver more and times times change your opinion on things not because of what you what you feel about them but just because purely what you like and what you hear in them but I only recently on the remasters started to fall in love with that song Every Little Thing She Does mm. and just the ding ding drums in there and the rhythm and the little guitar chiming bits that I'd never ever picked up on before and it's little things like that that yeah. I've been listening to them since I was a child and I'm still picking up on things that I'd never really valued in it before and it's the fact that all of it is so familiar it's so in your blood it's so ingrained. Uh, for me, and this might be a bit cliche, um, but it's Ticket to Ride, um, just because it, it is a fantastic song. How oh, can you man, listen yeah. to that and not get excited? Oh, like, yeah. And how many times has you know an opening like that been copied? Like ding, it's ding, 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 it's ding, just going to happen. Ding, ding. Mm -hmm. 
And um, something that I maybe wasn't that interested in previously, but listening to the um, BBC recordings that were issued yeah, last year. The, the um, live radio performance. Yeah, I really got into I'll Follow the Sun. And yeah. then it's not that I didn't like the song before, but sometimes you just don't listen. You put it on the shelf for a while, you, you sort of forget it about it. And then you hear it and you go, wow, that's really a fantastic song. Why didn't I yeah. pick up on that before? I'll Follow the Sun is awesome. And I mean, mm. it's something like I put that in the same basket as Till There Was You, even though they yeah. wrote uh, I'll Follow the Sun. Mm. But their version of Till There Was You is yeah. sort of almost the definitive one. It's, that's it's right. perfect. It's like Simon and Garfunkel's version of Scarborough Fair. You know, yeah. like it's just that it's the definitive. Right? But I think things like Girl. Oh, yeah. Um, Girl is still one of my favourite songs. And I think that entire era, like when you think about from, I guess, Ruola back, when you think of Tomorrow Never Knows and just the drum sound on that song is just incredible. When I think about early Beatles, I too often think about that really early stuff. But, I mean, considering we're going to split it in half from Revolver onwards to be the later period, the Revolver Rubber Soul stuff is is just... It's hard to pick a favourite, but off Rubber Soul, it had stuff like Drive My Car and Norwegian Wood and... The melodies are particularly around that time that Paul was writing. I know Paul sort of gets bagged as the, the daggy beetle a little bit, which is sacrilegious to me he only got bag- bags as the daggy beetle because of the jumpers he wore in the 80s yeah. he's <laughs> and the 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 mullet was pretty special well, too yeah, around the wing that's true think of yesterday just for what it is you know no one's written a song that that beautiful since it's it's up i there. think to be honest it's up there with classical music in the way it's revered by musicians and people and mm-hmm. public alike it's, it's just yeah. it's that revered it's beyond a pop song when I think about the sort of later periods coming through with the last US tour with Shea Stadium and all that kind of stuff, not being able to hear anything and, and the debacle in the Philippines with Marcos going to kick them out of the country and maybe keep them in the country in jail and stuff like that. When they got home, I just think it's they just wanted to write and do all the things and not have that pressure of touring, which was, which I think was a great thing for us years down the track. I mean, what's your favourite thing, Pointy, of that period? I'm really torn between what I prefer more, the White Album or Abbey Road, because I like them both for two completely different reasons. I'm certainly not in the camp of those that think the White Album should be one record. If they just cut off a bit of it, they would have made one perfect record. It's like, again, you're missing the point. This is a band pretty much at the height of their powers. Beatles' White Album. And they went nuts, and it was it was brilliant. Mm. And, and with Abbey Road, I, th- I think it's just great because you've got side one, which mm. is just classic after classic, and then side two, the medley and the ending. It it just works yeah. so well. So I, I really can't pick between those two. And just to backtrack slightly, th- there's always a bit of a war in my mind as well between um, Revolver and Rubber Soul. Mm. It's really really hard to choose between those two. I do kind of lead lean towards Revolver though and a bit controversial but I'm not really that big of a fan of Sgt Peppers Obviously, it's a groundbreaking album. There's a hell of a lot of great songs on there. But I just don't think the songs stack up as well as some of the other records around that time. I don't know if either of you guys have heard it, but there's some Beatles tracks going around. I think they're eight tracks 
of uh, a few songs off Sergeant Peppers, and it's the it's the intro Sergeant Peppers, the uh, day in life, uh, help from her friends, and she's leaving home, I think, um, and they're just incredible, like just amazing to hear the tracks soloed and just insanely good but there's a lot of songs in there that don't sort of seem to fit with sergeant peppers i mean the the whole conceptual thing was largely abandoned at the opener and the closer everything else just kind of came about and fit within that and it just tended to be quite experimental and we kind of in our minds go right let's book ended with these two things and so yeah it kind of fits therefore it's a concept record and that works but talking about them getting a little weird on the White Album and then Let It Be being what it was and then Abbey Road being really fucking tight. It's about effort. I mean, they were really pushing, starting to push against each other with Sgt. Peppers and they all had great songs and they are all working reasonably well as a band, so it worked. Yeah. White Album-wise, they were all pretty much, fuck you, I'm doing my own thing. Yeah. So they did and they worked on each other's songs but they didn't work as a band as much. Yeah. And then that culminated in Let It Be where they're all pretty much like, fuck you, now we're trying to work as a band and it's just not working and Paul, why are you putting us in a film studio? Because honestly, this is not going to go well. Yeah. But Abbey Road, it's like, well... We all know this is going to be our last thing, so let's put as much fucking effort into it as we can. And that's why, to be honest, Abbey Road is my favourite because it's really tight and it's really well put together. And not saying the other records aren't, but you can sense the professionalism and the effort that goes into it without feeling it's something contrived or something worked hard at. It just feels right. Let It Be was probably a little bit controversial even apart from the circumstances in which it was recorded as far as, you know, all the overdubs and the extra production and the... Phil Spector. All, all, all the, the wall of sound type stuff that was added later, which sort of detracted from the original intention of, of the record, which was mm. let's get back to basics and just, just write a, a rock and roll album. I concur 100% with Moose on Abbey Road. From start to finish, album was if you were to take it as an album for me is uh it's it's unsurpassed the the medley's insane anything on from well from she came in through the bathroom window to the end of the album is probably my favorite among my top three to five bits of music ever i think but yeah abbey road just kicks everything i think personally that, that's precisely um, why I said Abbey Road and the White Album for me. And it is for very different reasons because yeah. you've got Abbey Road because it's just concise. Mm-hmm. It's a, a great statement. All the songs are strong. But then the White Album's the other end of the spectrum, yeah. which is a, hey, we can get away with this mm-hmm. and people are going to buy it and people are going to love it. That's right. And ultimately, as Ringo said on the anthology, like people, you know, I think he was, he made that point of, you know, the whole, um, you know, people saying it would have been a great little album if it was half you know just a single album and stuff like that and but he goes it's the Beatles white album for fuck's sake you know it's pretty cool and especially these days if you are that way inclined it's not like uh, you're listening to it on a on a record if you don't like the whole album put the songs that you want in a playlist and make your own white album if that's the way you're inclined 
That's that's right. I I've never thought to do that, and I, I probably never would because it's all cool to me to listen to anyway. Thinking on that um, that TV special that was on a few weeks ago, the Grammys. Nod, yeah, the, nod the night the, that changed America. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That sort of stuff. They played the entire 20, 25 minutes of the Ed Sullivan performance, mm. um, like five songs or something like that, with the different sets. That whole show, I was expecting just to be this big absolute, uh, you know, another tribute to the Beatles type thing. But it was cool, aside from. Dave Grohl popping up in every, you know, in everyone, <laughs> everyone's kitchen window. By the sound of it, yeah. the, thing, the reason I like about Dave Grohl with that sort of stuff is that he, he genuinely loves it. You can tell he's just he's as excited as anyone would be being on that stage with Paul McKay. As if you wouldn't. He's the yeah, one who. If you're in his position, you'd totally take oh, that opportunity and milk it. Of course you would. Oh shit! Yeah, he's going to go to his grave going shit. I, I was friends with Paul McCartney. I was musical. Collaborate, collaborator. Even if I somehow managed to fake my way into being like, okay, let's just say like a classical flautist. <laughs> and Paul McCartney said, I want a classical flautist to play on stage with me. I'd be like, fuck yeah, I'm a classical flautist. And I'd fucking make it up. And even if he hated it, I'd be like, yeah, I pissed off Paul McCartney. Yeah, that's right. At least I had some kind of interaction. Something okay, that sounds obsessive. But going back to Magical Mystery Tour, that had stuff like, um, okay, obviously Magical Mystery Tour, but it had uh, Baby You're a Rich Man. It had All You Need Is Love, technically. Okay, hold on. All right, there, was the, there was the Magical Mystery Tour part of it, which was... Um, I think Magical Mystery Tour, Full on the Hill, Your Mother Should Know, Baby You're a Rich Man. But I think Penny Lane, All You Need Is Love, and something else were sort of added. Strawberry Fields were added to the recorded version because they were singles, but they were never released on an album. But when CDs kind of came around, they were. It was like, we need need to expand this. It needs to be an album. For a long time, you could only get Strawberry Fields and Penny Lane on like compilations and stuff Mm. like that that had come out through the 70s and 80s. But I think, yeah, the advent of CDs and playlists, they just added them to, to those things. And it fits great because, you know, they are all recorded in the same era. They all sound cohesive. Speaking of compilations, they released the American albums, I think, in the last couple of months, like the American release of the albums. Um, and it's funny looking at the track lists for those, how different the Americans got the Beatles experience. Like so many albums were kind of mismatched mm-hmm. and different tracks put on different albums. And it's almost like you kind of fall in love with and get used to the track order you are used to. Like for me, it was the red and blue double albums that I kind of like, I love hearing those songs in that order because it, yeah. It makes me feel a certain way. It seemed largely unnecessary to me to, oh, to release the US versions because it's kind of like they were created, the UK versions were the albums well, they, and they weren't probably happy at the time that the albums got bastardised and yeah. they were put in different orders and tracks that didn't belong together ended up on that record. But that's the point I'm trying to make though. You guys listen to it in a certain way and yes, I agree. It's like the albums were intended to be a certain way but if you're... Jenny Sue, who grew up in Texas, who fucking had all of those Beatles ups and loved Jenny them. Jenny Sue's probably not the best Texas name you could have came up with. I don't know, <laughs> but okay, give me a, give me like a small town Texas kind of name here. Um, Betty Lynn. Betty Lynn. Betty Lynn. Betty Lynn's all right. Singing teacher in Newcastle. Isn't she? Okay, <laughs> Betty Lynn. This is the other Betty Lynn. Yeah. Um, if you're talking about <laughs> Betty Lynn in Newcastle, I think there is this also th- this thing of like they broke in the UK first and they released a certain amount of yeah. records in the UK first. And by the time they toured America, they kind of went, okay, well, rather than releasing all these things, let's put all these things on one album. Mm. And then the next time they toured America, it's very similar. I'm not quite sure. 
Yeah, I'm I'm not too sure on that sort of stuff either, really. It's just yeah. I, I can't imagine listening to Dark Side of the Moon with half of the wall chucking. <laughs> yeah. That kind of thing. That's sort of where I'm getting at, I suppose. And I agree with you in that that does sound preposterous. It's art. Put If someone puts on an ex- exhibit of a certain period of their work, then that's what it's going to be. You know? like, I don't know. Mm. It seems a bit funny to change it. So, well, well, if an author has two novels... You yeah. don't swap chapters from one novel into another yeah. and go, okay, read that. Oh, hang on, this doesn't fit. That's with right. That I mean, you, you read some novels that it feels like that's what's happened. But... Though, however, like some, even novels and albums today still get American versions and UK versions because they feel like the different public want different things. And yeah. I have read interviews with authors saying that, yeah, we, ha- we wrote the version that got released in America and then I had to do uh, revision and cut out a few chapters here and release the UK version. And while I don't feel that's necessary, maybe there is some kind of psychology behind it or at least some industry behind it. Yeah, well, I have heard um, John Safran, who uh, released his book Murder in Mississippi towards the end of last year, is actually going from a process at the moment of Americanizing that book to be released in the States, mm. you know, changing names from petrol station to Whoa. gas station and, and all, all that sort of stuff just just to make it more palatable take on the solo stuff i'll admit straight up i haven't spent a lot of time with any of ringo's solo efforts so let's photograph is a good george wrote that so let's so 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 i might need to to park that can't say i'm i'm much of an expert there as far as george's material that was released after beatles spent a a lot of time with all things must pass and the traveling wilburys probably not too much else So it's probably more between John and, and Paul. And I'd have to lean towards John, not necessarily because I think he wrote the best songs in the Beatles or anything like that, um, although he did write a hell of a lot of cracking tunes. Yeah. Um, but I, I just think some of the negative feedback around John's solo work is misguided as far as, oh, you know, it was just overly political or, oh, he's just making noise. And it's like, I think you're not really hearing what I'm hearing. There was a hell of a lot of great pop songs that he brought out. Instant Karma comes to mind immediately. Yeah. Like, nobody told me. I don't know. Even songs like Oh Yoko, that's yeah. a oh, damn jumpy brilliant jumpy. song. Like, yeah. listen to that and try not to tap your feet. Yeah. It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Um, so I- I'm siding with John on this, although I will add the, the footnote that Paul has been no slouch. And is still and is still releasing great albums up until this point. I mean, sure, with a career that long, there's going to be patchy periods, and there definitely were. Summer Wings, I'm pointing at you, um, <laughs> but but you know, on the whole, like he's certainly you know kept up the the quality over a fairly extended period of time. I'm much the same as pointing as far as George goes. All things must pass, and um, yeah, Wilbury is pretty much my sort of George-related sort of knowledge, I suppose. But, yeah, with Paul, I mean, obviously Ringo doesn't really rate that much of a mention on that sort of front because he wasn't that prolific. Although he's think. a pretty cool guy to this day. Yeah, peace and love and all he's that sort of stuff. He's aged very fucking well. Yeah, he still he still looks... Uh, 
still looks at least 60. 40, 60? Yeah, 50, something like that. Around that age. But um, I think um, John's stuff for me is unreal. I'd, uh, well, I think there's more some range of, in his stuff, like yeah. Paul's. But favourite Beatle, I think, would be Paul. And I think it's he seems to be the only one that's never been embarrassed about being a Beatle. And that, mm. for me, is so important because as a fan, the other three being certainly publicly embarrassed about being Beatles is kind of insulting, I think. It's sort of like when you, if you go to see an artist and then you go to talk to them after a show and you say, look, that was really amazing and they're sort of like dismissive of the fact that you enjoyed it. Yeah. And they say, oh, no, it wasn't very good. It's like, yeah. okay, so you're telling me that I don't know what's good or I don't know what I enjoyed. It's, it's, yeah. uh, it's an odd, odd thing to say. Yeah, and I, I think I love, I love Paul more so because he never seems to have been embarrassed about it and he doesn't apologise for it. John just seemed a bit too far up his own ass a lot of the time. Well, um, although I do think he was probably more into his solo work than what he would have been towards the end of the, the Beatles. Mm. Certainly sounds like he spent a lot more time on some of the songs that ended up on his solo albums and what he did towards the end. I really like that you feel Paul is your favourite because he was never embarrassed to be a Beatle. And I like the way you find it insulting, but my analogy is it's kind of like a beautiful woman saying, I'm so fat, mm. I'm so ugly. It's like, no, if you could only see yourself through the eyes of the rest of the world. Yes. It's like it's, the Beatles put out stuff that meant the world to everyone and to turn around and go, most of it was shit. Yeah. No, fuck you. And yeah. yes, I... Okay, it's probably... Not the greatest for a 28-year-old to go fuck you to any of the Beatles because I love them all. But, um, yeah. like, I, I like that Paul consistently pushed the Beatles, not talking about creatively, not talking about artistically, but talking about, right, let's get in, let's, let's do another going. record, let's keep going. Yeah. Like, he put the, the film studio thing for Let It Be together because he thought it would be a great idea, and you could see in those bootlegs of, of them recording in the film studio yeah. that he's like, okay, let's do this. Let's. He was constantly pushing for them to create more, to write more, to record more, when the others were going, eh, eh, I've got this, I've got that. It's like, do you realise what you've got here? And I don't think a lot of them did. And that's, that's, I mean, any group of people you're with where you shit it off with each other or you shit it off with one, emotions take hold. But, man, I yeah. agree that Paul really pushed the band. Yeah, I, I, I think I, my sort of thing with Paul goes back to, to the Beatles themselves and, you know, the whole um, idiotic notion that Yoko broke up the Beatles and all that sort of stuff. It's Paul broke up she the Beatles. She only came up into the yeah. scene on the White Album. Yeah. already weren't looking that, that great at that that's, point. That's right. Exactly right. I mean, it kind of helped having your missus in the studio on a bed that, you'd brought, that your bandmate had brought in and all that sort of stuff. That can't help the tensions, but that's not going to be a reason to, to break up. The reason they broke up is that the rest of them wanted Alan Williams to come over from the, from the US to be their manager, and they were getting shafted. Linda's, Linda's dad... Um, was a lawyer. He looked it all over and he was saying, no, he's getting shafted. So Paul was saying, well, we want Linda's dad to be our manager. And they were saying, no, you just want it because of Linda and stuff. And it's all rubbish. He, he was just looking out for them. So that's why Paul just said, well, no, I'm breaking up the partnership. I'm suing you and that's it. And he was the only one to keep it going. And kudos for that. And he's never been embarrassed about it. All I heard was a lot of talk about um, 
why you think Paul's a, a nice person or a better person as opposed <laughs> to why his solo records are better than John's, though. Hold on. I'll get to that. I will get to that. And believe me, I'll get to that. But I agree with you completely in the whole in the whole management thing being a massive issue and being a major contributor to the beginning of the downfall because once Epstein... Epst, Epstein? Epstein? Once Epstein... Tomato, tomato. Once Brian Epstein died... They didn't really have a centre looking after them. They then had to become responsible. And when you've got yeah. four people pulling four different ways with mm. no direction, no centre, it's all going to go downhill eventually. And it, I mean, to credit to Paul that he went, okay, let's fucking do this. Let's push towards while everyone had their own thing going on. And here's my answer to, I hear a lot of talk about <laughs> Paul McCartney being a real nice person, but let's talk about his catalogue. <laughs> yeah. Lennon did a lot of great stuff and Lennon, yes, was a consistent artist, but I think in one in one swoop with the song Imagine, he created something absolutely timeless that defined his career as a solo artist. He will be remembered for Imagine on top of all his solo stuff and his solo stuff was great, but McCartney had incredibly prolific, consistent output that was incredibly well-written and consistent with his Beatles stuff. Like, if you're talking about Wings, you're talking about Jet, Band on the Run, um, Listen to What the Man Said, Silly Love Songs, Another Day. That shit is awesome. It's incredibly well-written. It's fantastic pop songs. And it was completely... It was written from a different place to whatever John wrote, you know? John was writing it from a place of... Uh, integrity, it's artistic credibility, blah, blah. Paul was writing it from the place of, I'm in love, I live on a farm with my wife and my kids, I want to write really good songs, I want to write stuff that is fun to play, I want to tour around colleges in a van. Like, when you're writing for particular things, you're writing in a particular vein, and sure, some of his collaborations, like Ebony on Ivory (laughs) and The Girl Is Mine, may not be the most artistically credible stuff, but he does have so much in the canon. I mean, live and let, live live and let die. die. And maybe I'm amazed. Like you mentioned before, a classic, amazing songs, but I honestly think Lennon overshadows everything in the foul sweep of imagine the amazing song that is imagine is just such a blinding thing. imagine for that reason because it's it's sort of above even talking about like it, yeah it's it's just in everyone's mind everyone's heard it it's it's probably more well known in some ways than some of the beatles mm. stuff well like, it's equivalent to yesterday and it's so revered it is beyond what any of them have done yesterday and imagine are two equal classics my thing with John Lennon's solo stuff is that there's a lot of stuff I'd skip. There's more stuff that I would skip in Lennon's catalogue yeah. than Paul's catalogue purely because I'm not in the mood to listen to that. That yeah. either takes too much effort to listen to yeah. because it's this particular mood mm. or I'm just really not in the mood to deal with that. Whereas yeah. Paul's, it's more, as everything Paul's ever done, more consumable and more yeah. day-to-day listenable and more yeah. enjoyable. I, I find most of John's solo catalogue to be highly listenable and it's not like I mean apart from some of the more avant-garde stuff he did with Yoko I'm not counting Prom Screams and all that (laughs) but like as far as the I guess mainstream albums that he brought out like it's all nothing is that out there that's that's true that is true Uh, but 
just in general, I do like listening to... I do find it easier and more pleasant to listen to Paul McCartney solo output apart from a few really fucking cheesy songs. Mm. I think that was the Jumpers influence. Once you, once you get that much coloured wool on you, you just... It's, it's a Daryl Summers effect. I was going to say, was it a Cosby influence? <laughs> it seeps into your pores and becomes <laughs> ebony and ivory. We've just named three 80s fashion icons right there. Um, <laughs> but speaking of my absolute love for Paul McCartney, I do have a couple of really highlight Lennon tracks. I really love Number 9 Dream. I absolutely love that song to death. And just like Starting Over is a really cool song. I love Woman. Yep. And I love Cold Turkey is pretty awesome. Cold Actually, Pointy, uh, because because you're the out of the three of us, the Lennon, the Lennon sideline. Give me your top Paul McCartney songs from the solo era. Let me roll it is one of my favourites. Actually, it's pretty much just the stuff on Ben on the Run. Like, it's not that I haven't um, listened to the other stuff, but that's what I think of straight away when yeah. I, I go to Paul solo. Although I do remember listening to a lot of. Flowers in the Dirt, mm. um, which I think Elvis Costello might have did a couple of mm-hmm. wrote a couple of songs yeah. um, for that with Paul. Yeah, um, I do remember listening to a lot of that and some of the um, more recent stuff from the last ten years, um, like Chaos and Creation in the Backyard, oh, um, had some really great songs on it. Like, yeah, that was Jenny surprisingly good. Might have been that person from, from Texas you were talking about, Jenny, Jenny, Jenny Ren. Ren. Maybe we'll, Jenny, we'll go Jenny with Lou. that. That's Jenny Sue. Um, and uh, did that have fine line on it as well? Yeah, it's a fine line. Yeah, so blah, that. Blah, blah. So yeah, that was that was really good. Um, the record that came out last year, new. New, I thought that new was, was really good. good. Yeah, mm. it suffered from the fact it had like four producers taking it in four different directions, but yeah. it was really good. Did you see the Martin Scorsese documentary on George Harrison that came out a couple of years ago? Sure did, and I cry every time. Oh, it was so amazing, and my partner bought me the the huge box set with the book and that for my birthday a couple of years ago but hearing Wawa and Awaiting on You All I think we saw it in Dendi Cinemas in Newtown but in general hearing that through cinema speakers like remastered with the movie was just amazing like Wawa was vibrating through the floor and I've never paid as much attention to Awaiting on You All which is now a highlight favourite ever George Harrison song As a Beatle he's insane he's still as I said before one of my favourite guitarists and great writer i love his attitude and he's you know he was one of the the big fuck you beatles like he john was probably the most outspoken about that stuff but you know george didn't you know didn't give a shit about any of that stuff and he was he was the young gun he was the 17 year old kicked out of hamburg and all that sort of stuff so he was tough kid and going to liverpool and stuff and checking out their houses and all that kind of stuff it's just you get a sense, but you can still feel it standing out front of the house. Going, oh my god! Did you do that? You going to live? Yeah, been there a couple of times. Love it. Have to do it every time. I'll like, I'll do something different every time. It's I'm a pilgrimage. There. Oh man! <laughs> I did my first trip a couple of years ago. We went with my partner's family to the UK for six weeks, and mm. we did a few different places. My future brother-in-law wanted to see um, Old Trafford, and so we went to Manchester. And I was like, right, while we're going to Manchester, mm-hmm. let's stop by Liverpool. And I, I did take the yeah. like the magical mystery tour bus, like that's yeah. painted like the magical mystery tour bus, yeah. and like yeah, the the yeah. just even weirdly. I don't care when they're erected signs of Penny Lane, knowing that's yeah. Penny Lane, and yeah. going to um, Strawberry Fields, just seeing mm-hmm. the gates, and yeah. like for anyone who is not a Beatles fan or doesn't, yeah. or not that much of an obsessive, it's like yeah. you just looking at an old house. Hundreds yeah. of people lived in the house you lived in, I'm sure, but it's like it's something. Yeah. But they were there, oddly special. <laughs> it's like that's right. It's a you can't explain it. It's a 
It's Marbo. It's the vibe. You know, it's it's just it, it is the vibe of you stand, standing there and knowing that this little cobblestone footpath probably hasn't been changed since they walked on it and all that sort of stuff and you feel that reverence for it and standing out front of Paul's place in Fawthorn Road when you're looking at photos in a book of him and John just sitting there on the lawn yeah, playing. Yeah, I was there. You know, all that sort of stuff. You just get that full-on freaky feeling. But you know, but it's something it's only, like, slightly music obsessives can get. I mean, with, with your own history, you go around and you go to your old house and you mm. feel like, oh, wow, I grew up there. And That's But right. to someone else's history, it's like it, that, it takes something special to influence other people to go and visit Dude. an old hall. Man, we, we walked around in the pissing down rain in London finding Paul's place that he, he bought back then and he still lives in, 7 Cavendish Avenue in St. John's Wood, and everyone knows the address. I'm not doing anything illegal by saying that. But um, we went and um, just thought, fuck it. Um, we had a plan that if we were there and we were just going to ring the bell, if there was a bell, and if he did answer, we were just going to start singing, let him in, you know, someone knocking at the door, so that stuff. And it was all stupid. But he didn't answer. He pressed a couple of times. We were just waiting. There's a massive gate and stuff. And we started walking away, and the gate just went, started opening up, and was like, what the fuck's going on? We were just trembling. There's a... Little Puerto Rican dude comes out and goes, oh, he's not here. I was like, ah, <laughs> probably looking down from his window or something. But yeah, I just nice I to get some it. sort of acknowledgement. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> even if it was, uh, he's yeah. not here. That's this right. guy was hired by Paul McCartney. <laughs> That's right, exactly right. Or his people. He's One paid to tell people to go away. <laughs> That's right. It's his only job there. Like, uh, however many degrees of separation, I was told to go away by the guy that Paul McCartney hired to tell people to go away. That's right. Speaking of going to St. John's Wood, I did do the Abbey Road pilgrimage as well. I didn't know about the address in the house. I wasn't... We did go and cross the road uh, and see the outside of the studio, and that was pretty exciting. Both times I've been there, it's been pissing down rain, um, Ah! which is unusual for London, I know. We just love it. We have photos sitting on the steps outside the steps we were waiting there was someone a band was loading in the second time i think we were there trying to see the road cases but it had no markings on it or anything i don't know it was but it was probably matchbox 20 or something both times we've been there we just love it take you know seeing the all the crossing photos and stuff and the fact that a lot of people who probably don't realize that it's a fairly busy road it's kind of a major road it's yeah. not a back street with a you know, a couple of cars going past. It is pretty damn major and busy. And so the locals are just going, oh my God, not again. Hey, though, I said to my partner, because my partner was going, I don't want to get a photo on the road because I'm going to be getting in people's way. And I'm like, if you choose to drive down Abbey Road and don't expect to be stopped at that crossing, you're an idiot. If you're a local or even a Londoner in general, like, if you don't expect to be stopped on Abbey Road, I don't know what you're thinking. Uh, I was just thinking that, you know, talking about the Beatles almost seems like a, a pointless exercise at times because it's like uh, who doesn't know the story who doesn't know the songs but we're actually going to see a uh, white album tribute show soon yeah in July uh, we're heading to the opera house uh, to see um... <laughs> that was that was lovely that's exactly what it's going to sound like um, we're going to the opera house to see la 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 that was the uh, the secret secret song uh, on the White Album um, <laughs> tribute show we're going to see. So hopefully they play that one. Uh, but but no, we're we're going to see um, Tim Rogers, Josh Pike, uh, Chris Cheney, and Phil Jameson uh, play the White Album, um, which we did see probably about five years ago now as well um, when they did the the same sort of deal. Was um, it the same lineup back then? Uh, yeah, yeah, it was same same lineup. Um, I'm not sure if the same artists will be 
doing the same songs. I wonder um, about that actually. Yeah, because maybe they'll mix it up a little bit. Um, well, I guess we'll find out. Um, but yeah, that was probably one of the best shows I've ever been to. You know, in lieu of actually seeing the Beatles, which is obviously not a possibility, to see um, particularly for for Moose and I. Tim Rogers being uh, very, very dear to our heart. (laughs) That's pretty amazing. Um, Also, I'm, you know, quite a fan of Josh Pike and uh, Phil Jameson. Not not so much Chris Cheney, um, although I certainly appreciate... you know his guitar playing and 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 the work he does, but I'm yeah. not so much a Living End fan. Sure. But uh, but yeah, it was brilliant. Uh, while I'm not so much a Living End fan, I, I do appreciate the Living End, and I think they're an excellent live group. And man, Chris Cheney is one of the best guitarists in Australia. But when Chris Cheney slid across the piano and landed in the middle of the stage and rocked out to Birthday, it was pretty yeah. badass. I mean. That whole thing was just joyous and awesome and you couldn't put pit one performer against the other because it was just so fun. The I saw a show a few years ago at the Civic Theatre, which is the best place to see music in Newcastle by far. Um, but the it was, I think it was the Let It Be tribute or something. It was Doug Parkinson, um, John Stevens, Jack Jones and John Waters, who's done all the looking through a glass onion stuff and all that, which is great. It was, wasn't a particular sort of running list or anything they just played songs from every era but um jack jones doing she's so heavy one of the best things i've ever seen but doug parkinson doing his 60s version of dear prudence was insane i think i was born uh 35 years too late i think i should have been (laughs) born around 1942 talk to any rock fan and they've got an era they should have been born in you deal you deal with the card you given I know, but how cool would it, have, would it have been to have the Beatles be a new thing? As far as how much you listen to the Beatles now, is it a go-to for you? Is it an occasional thing? Uh, how's your relationship with the Beatles now? I probably listen to them every couple of weeks. You know, if I'm cleaning or looking, doing painting or something or anything like that, um, it's just always on. When I'm at the gym, it's on in me old um, iPod headphones. Um but I do. I must say, I do an anthology watch at least once a year. An entire thing. I'll sit there for, you know, over a few days, just break it up, and I watch the entire thing because I always find something that sticks in my memory after that. My anthology watch is every couple of years, actually. But I do agree with you. In terms of listening to the Beatles, yeah, I reckon every couple of weeks. I'm currently planning a wedding and figuring out what songs should go where and really obsessing over playlists, which is pretty normal for me. So they're a band that I think a lot of people love but and claim they love and talk about how much they love the Beatles but don't actually listen to a lot. Mm. And I think for every couple of weeks, uh, which I listen to them and I think you listen to them as well, it's a pretty good, pretty good run. There were a few years that I didn't listen to them as much, mm. uh, maybe a few years ago, but... Um, even with the sheer amount of releases and specials and anniversaries that bring them back to your mind and the fact that they're being celebrated for certain reasons, you're like, oh, I better put that on because I want to listen to that. Uh, For me, it's probably not every couple of weeks. I would probably say once every two months maybe. A lot of the time it's you'll just be sitting there thinking, oh, geez, I haven't listened to Revolver in a while or, hey, I haven't listened to Beatles in a while. I really need to to listen to some. So it's really just what's around at the time um, or to your point around wedding playlists, um, just when you're making something for other people to listen to. It's like a Beatles is a, is a go-to thing for any sort of compilation because everyone's going to enjoy it. You can find yeah. something that will please everybody. I, um, I listened to the, I think I was telling you before, Pointy, the Cirque du Soleil Love soundtrack a lot 
I listened to that a lot because I think Giles and George Martin did such a good job with that that sometimes now I when I'm listening to the songs that the original recordings, the original recordings I'm <laughs> they waiting don't sound quite right. I'm waiting for it to go into the bits that they oh, mixed and stuff like, like that. The, because, the, the drive my car what you're doing yeah. and um, what's the other one? Um it's like look what you look what you're doing. Da, 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 da. Yes, the so fine sunshine. Yes, the word goes into the word. The word what you're doing and drive my car, but the beep beep so fine sunshine. Beep beep and beep beep. Yeah. Oh my god. The same as at the end of because I'm starting to hear the um the golden the the bloody the end with um and then going into get back and stuff. So. We went to see the Cirque du Soleil love show when oh, we were in geez. Vegas a couple of years ago. Fuck you. Um, <laughs> Seriously. We, um, oh, damn it. we, I can't wait to see that. oh my God. Like when you go into that particular part of the casino through the slot machines, it's like they walk you through like a Beatles store of like crazy merchandise that yeah. you want everything of. And yeah. I think in my pocket right now, maybe no, somewhere in the house is my Beatles wallet that I bought yeah. at the Cirque du Soleil. It's like the Abbey Road wallet. But anyway, just to, mm. aside from merch, you like and them selling me quite a few. Here comes the sun cocktails. By the time I got in, <laughs> what, uh, what tequila was sun said cocktail. I don't know, but I, I think there was tequila in there and certainly lots of pineapple. But like you, pretty much you bought like a massive Beatles love glass and you could just like get cocktails refilled in it. So I did that, but yeah. Oh my God. I I never thought I'd be one to ever go and see Cirque du Soleil and Mm. enjoy it. And sure it's great, but it's never really been my thing, but it was amazing. It like, it was just jaw droppingly cool. I can't wait to see that show. I hope it runs for 20 years because I'll oh, get there in that time. It, it is <laughs> it is absolutely worth it. It yeah. was like what the, the highlight of the whole Vegas time. Yeah. I didn't love Vegas at all. I'm not, yeah, I'm not really the kind of guy to love it. But, man, I'm so glad we went just for the fact we saw that. But yeah. what I was going to say before was um, one of the things that got me into a few Beatles songs that I hadn't heard or hadn't consciously listened to in a while that I always loved was um, Beatles Rock Band. I have the I have the um, guitar hero set, and I'd, I'd I'd always wanted the Beatles rock band thing, and I was like, oh no, no, and my partner was sick, and so I went to do get the groceries down the road, and I was like, I'm just gonna go to Kmart. I was looking for something, and I, I was wandering through, and I saw like a big stand with like the Beatles rock band like on special for ten dollars. I'm like, ten dollars? It's been my go-to. I fucking love it. It is so good. Yeah, we had that night last year when we played it. I think it was, what, you, me, uh, Nothing Cutie, and Hannah and Mrs. Pointy. Thanks very much for listening, guys. Uh, We've come to the end of the episode. Um, Thanks for listening. We really appreciate it. Tony, thanks for coming on the show. Oh, mate, it's it's an absolute pleasure. I'm, um, yeah, glad to be here. Thanks for having me. And, yeah, I uh, I have a Facebook page that's got my music on it. I uh, released an EP last year that I recorded in my bedroom, as we were talking about before, and uh, good old old garage band. It was great stuff. But, um, but no, you can check that out on the Facebook page, which is Tony W Music. If you just search that, that'll come up. It's got a picture of the EP cover, I believe. Um, and also my artwork is under the White Arts and on Facebook as well. You can contact me through both of those pages. And some of it's selling. I'm still selling the music and still selling the artwork. And um, it's great. Thanks for your support. Cheers, guys. Ah. Sleep.